Good morning and welcome to the virtual, live stream, socially distanced version of the North Roanoke Corporate Gathering. We're so glad that you've tuned in. I'm missing the local church gathered. The church was designed to be scattered in the world, sent on mission, but also to weekly be gathered. God has created us for physical presence as an expression of the oneness that we have through the Spirit, a oneness that is known in a special way when we are physically present in one place at one time, a oneness that binds us together as one body, growing up into Christ our Lord, the Head. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know just as I have been fully known. I'm grateful for the benefits of technology keeping us as connected as possible in these days, but we need to be back together. Going forward, we will certainly leverage some of what we've learned about technology, but technology cannot replace being physically together. If we're going to genuinely enjoy communion with God, if we're going to draw near, verse 22, as we saw last week, and keep on drawing near, there's some things that we do together that maintain our communion with God. We are a community. We're a community of our king and of our priest. And what unites us as a people and what defines us as a community is not our age, it's not our marital status, it's not the color of our skin, it's not our chosen career path, it's not our educational attainment, it's not one of our favorite church programs. No, what makes us one is the communion we have with God our Father through the blood of Christ His Son as provided by His Spirit. This confident access that we have, this ability to draw near and gathering is a significant part of how we draw near to God. You know, I think about different groups of people and their identity and what unites them. And I, I think about people who wear blue and orange uh, in the fall, and they put on coats and ties and drive to Charlottesville and watch something called a football game. There are certain things that they do together that mark them off from other people. They have an identity. There's some practices that they engage in. They even say things like, wahoo, wah. I'm not sure why. But that's what they do. But the people of God have things that they are supposed to do that mark them off as the people of God. And some of those things we are given to do when we are physically present together. And we learn about those things in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. These are the things that we were made to do together as the people of God. Would you hear with me the Word of God? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you bow with me? God our Father, we thank You that You sent Your Son, Christ. We thank You that You've come and that together, God, You uh, God the Father and God the Son, you poured out your Spirit and Spirit, you've come and you have uh, come to guide us into all truth. And so as we plumb the depths of your word this morning, we pray, God, that you would be our teacher. Lord, that you would be present in the homes of those who are tuning in over whatever sort of device they're using. And God, that you would help 
uh, sustain and even create and build within them in anticipation for the day that we are able to gather and do the things that you've commanded us to do when we gather. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three words, really four words, but three concepts I want to share with you this morning. The first is confess, the second is consider, and the last is be consistent. Confess, consider, and be consistent. I usually give you a sermon and a sentence, and I'll do the same today. I want you to know to maintain our confidence in drawing near to God, what we talked about last week There's three things that we need to do in verses 23, 24, and 25. We must first hold fast the confession of our hope. Secondly, we must consider how to encourage one another to acts of love and service. And then finally, we must assemble in anticipation of Christ's return. So first, we must hold fast the confession of our hope. We have a confession that we hold fast. In verse 23, the author says, let us together, we, all of us, the church, hold fast the confession. He does not say, hey, you over there, you believe what you want to believe. And hey, you over there, you believe what you want to believe. We'll just all have sort of our own version of truth and then we'll come together and we'll sort of tangentially mention Jesus along the way. But really, you believe what you want to believe and you do what you want to do and you believe what you want to believe and you do what you want to do and we'll come together and we won't really worry so much about what we believe. That is not a church. That's a club that is deluded. And deceived. A church is grounded on a confession of hope, and it's not just a confession of hope, it is the confession of our hope. We confess Christ according to the Scriptures. It is only that Jesus Christ who can save, and it is Jesus Christ we confess. In a rapidly changing world, the true church of God will certainly have to adapt. We've seen that mightily in these days. And there are websites and gurus and leadership specialists who are blogging and doing web stuff every day about the adaptability of the church and all the things that are changing. But I want you to know that what marks off the true church of God in every generation is not the stuff that can change. It's the things that never change. Christ according to the Scriptures. He is the one we confess. He is our hope. In a world that is otherwise hopeless, we hold fast to Christ, the confession of our hope. Not a confession of a hope, but the hope. The confession that we have. A hope, by the way, that's not just a hope. It's our hope. We have a share in this hope because through the blood of Jesus, we've been adopted as the children of God. So it's not just a hope that's out there somewhere. It's a hope that's in, on the inside by the indwelling presence of God's Spirit who makes us a part of His family so that we are a part of God's hope. It is our hope. When life brings trials and persecution and hardships and setbacks, We need to be prepared. And the way that God has given us to be prepared is to keep on coming together as God's people to confess that Christ crucified is our living hope. One of the things that I like to say about North Roanoke Baptist Church is that we are striving to be Christ's church. And some people have looked at me and said, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means that Christ, through His Word, has told us what His church should do 
and be and look like. It means we don't take our cues from the world on what we do as the church. We take our cues from the Bible, which is authored by the Spirit and by Christ. But being Christ's church means that we understand why we gather through the lens of the Scriptures. We don't gather to be entertained. We don't gather to participate in our favorite program. We don't gather to live in the past, not five years ago, 15 years ago, or 50 years ago. If we gather to live in the past, the past that we live in is the victory that Christ secured at Calvary 2,000 years ago. To live for Christ is to know the presence of God. We must keep on holding fast. To live for Christ, rather, and to know the presence of God. We've got to keep on holding fast this one confession of our together hope. To hold fast means to seize seize something. To take hold of something. To keep it in mind and not let it go. I used to run relays back when I was in shape 100 years ago at Northside High School. And when you run a relay, you have to hold on to a baton and not let it go. And that becomes more challenging as you are in the summer sun and you're sweating already and then you're on your second lap of the 4 by 800 relay and you're in a tangled web of other people. The one thing you can't let go of in a confusing transition of handing off that baton is the baton itself. You must not let go of the baton. So it is with our faith. In a world that wants to unsettle us and rattle us, we must not let go of the confession of our faith. Living for God in the present means we constantly look back to what God has done for us in Christ in the past. The reason we gather is to remember what Christ has done. It is to sing of what Christ has done. It is to recite what Christ has done, to live out and to hear and proclaim what Christ has done, the basis of our hope, to live as followers of Jesus, we must come together and to hold fast our confession and never let it go. Do you see there in verse 23, we do it without wavering. When I think of wavering, I think of a drunk driver. I get this picture of someone who's constantly alternating between Uh, altered reality and the reality that is actually there because he's been deluded by the alcohol which is affecting his ability to understand the true picture of the way things are. What the author of Hebrews is saying is we can't vacillate between the world's vision of hope as intoxicating as it may be, as intoxicating as wealth and riches and Uh, career advancement and all the things the world says to us will give us meaning and purpose and identity that we don't place our hope over there. We don't waver between the world's version of hope and Christ's version of hope. We keep gathering week after week after week to be reminded and to affirm and to confess and to believe and to sing and to share and to hear that Christ alone is my living hope. When we gather, we look back to the cross We look back to the empty tomb and we look up to our risen King and seated High Priest. But we don't just look back to what Christ has done and what He's doing now. We also do this not so we can just sit and have a hope, but because Christ came so that we would be sent in order to declare His hope. Verse 24 tells us that the reason we gather is so that we can consider how to motivate one another to acts of love 
and servants. Here's a newsflash. Jesus did not come to save you so that you could have a saved seat in the sanctuary. And for those of you who may have thought that, when you come back, at least initially, we're probably going to have to practice some social distancing, which means your, your section of a pew might be reserved anyway for no one to sit there so that we can be six feet apart for a while. Jesus didn't come to cater to our preferences or our privileges. Jesus saved us to serve and to be sent in His power in cooperation with a local church. God doesn't save lone rangers. God doesn't save people to to do ministry in a vacuum. God created the local church to be the place where we are consistently reminded that Christ has given us a mission and then be encouraged and mobilized and equipped to participate in it. You say, well, I can be a Christian on my own time, in my own place, in my own way. No, you can't. God saved you into a group of people. And verse 24 says that one of the reasons we come together is to constantly consider one another. The word consider means essentially, if I can translate it into the English, be nosy. Get up in people's lives. Get to know what they're about. Get to know what makes them tick. Get to know what they're really good at. While the Bible condemns gossip, it commends getting to know one another so closely that we can encourage them to step up and to step out of their comfort zone and be used by God as He builds His kingdom. We've got to notice people. We've got to get to know them and understand them. In fact, this word stimulate or to encourage, as many translations say, the word actually is the word to irritate or to provoke. We've got to get so close to one another that we have the freedom to agitate one another to love and good deeds. The local church is supposed to be characterized by so much love for one another in Christ that it is safe for us to irritate one another a little bit unto the end of serving Christ. God saved you into His church so that He could use His church as a holy agitator in your life. God knows that you're still remaining in the flesh, that you dwell in the flesh until the day that He glorifies you when Christ returns. And from this day until that day, God uses the church about like a cattle prod. You, you gather and somebody's asking you questions about what are you doing in your workplace? What are you doing in your neighborhood? How is God using you in ministry? How is He using you to conduct love and good deeds in Jesus' name? We don't go to church to be anonymous faces in a crowd. We go to church to spur one another on to love and good deeds. This is one of the reasons we have Sunday school. It's one of the reasons we have small group ministries. We break down the church into digestible units so that people can get to know one another in in that sort of intimate way and they can spur one another on to love and good deeds and acts of service. I'm afraid that long before there was social distancing, In the church, there's been a lot of spiritual distancing. A lot of folks come to church, sit in the back, slide out during the invitation, get to lunch. That's not the church. The church is a place where we come and we commune and we gather and we don't just talk about the ball game, as fun as that is. We talk about the gospel. 
We talk about love and good deeds. We talk about serving in Jesus' name. I love verse 24. Verse 24 fills my heart as a pastor because it proves that the local church is supposed to be a community that mobilizes its members to make a difference in Jesus' name. We don't just come here to sit, hear a sermon, and leave. We gather to be mobilized and motivated to scatter into our neighborhoods and communities in the name of Jesus. The love and good deeds that are commanded here aren't things that are supposed to be bottled up in a building. And the quarantine is, focus, is forcing us to rethink some things. And some of those things are exciting. We can't have hundreds of kids likely in the building for vacation Bible school this year. So how are we going to do vacation Bible school? Well, it's something the staff is beginning to consider. Here's a question. What if we had people from our congregation step up in neighborhoods all across the valley and volunteer to host a backyard vacation Bible school at their home? Stay tuned. And be ready to say yes, because the church is going to spur you on to love and good deeds. I've been preaching since God called me to North Roanoke that the building is the place where we gather to be reminded of our Savior's mission and to be sent back out on it. But it's so convenient to gravitate to the building. But for now, at least for a season, ministry in the building is going to be difficult. And God is giving us an opportunity to hit the reset button in our lives and to understand that we gather for worship to be scattered throughout the community during the week to serve in Jesus' name. So to maintain our confidence in Christ, we've seen that we keep on confessing that Jesus is our only living hope. And we keep on encouraging one another to lock arms in acts of service that reflect the love of Christ. I want to pause here for just a moment. And I want you to know that as a pastor, I'm so glad it's not either confess Jesus or serve Jesus. It's both. There's a tendency in our world for a church to either be a church that's all about head knowledge and no action, or all about action and no knowledge of who Christ is, and neither one of those really please God. If you leave behind your confession, you're going to end up serving a Christ who does not save. But if the Christ that you confess does not motivate you to serve others in Jesus' name, that you might have all your theological facts right, but Jesus still hasn't changed your heart. It's got to be both, church. To be an authentic follower of Jesus... You're going to want to be a part of a church that has an accurate confession of who Christ is and what He's done. And you're going to want to be a part of a church with an authentic desire to serve and reach others with the gospel of Christ our King. And North Roanoke, God help us. God God help us to be that kind of church. I believe that we are and that we are going to continue to be and we're going to do even better in the days to come of maintaining our confession unapologetically that it's only Christ according to the Scriptures who saves. But because He saved us, what an opportunity, what a privilege to go in the power of the Spirit of God and share Him with others. We're going to confess Christ and we're going to share Him with with a lost and dying world. Finally, We see in verse 25 that we must assemble in anticipation of Christ's return. If you want to be a faithful follower of Jesus, if you want to persevere in the faith, if you want to be ready to stand when the storm 
comes, you need to regularly participate in the assembling of your own local church congregation. That's not my opinion. That's the Word of God. Verse 25, for us to reach the finish line, to endure, we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We've got to confess, we've got to consider one another, and we've got to be consistent. If you've got a job and you want to get paid, what do you do? You keep showing up to work. If you're a member of the family of God and you want to commune with God and God's people and be refreshed in the gospel, what do you do? You keep gathering with God's people. The assembly here refers to the regular meeting of Christians in one place for the purpose of worship. To forsake means to abandon or desert or to leave helpless. Don't leave the church helpless. Don't don't leave them behind and write them off and go do some other thing on Sunday morning. Cherish and prize the assembling of God's people. The people of God must not forsake worshiping God together. Do you see that in verse 25? It's pretty clear. Don't forsake. This is an important principle that should guide us as a church as we think about other ministries that are not corporate worship. Corporate worship comes first. This means we need to have enough volunteers for things that are not corporate worship so that those volunteers can regularly participate in corporate worship. It means that a minimum requirement for teaching or leading in any ministry at North Roanoke Baptist Church, a minimum requirement should be that that leader, that volunteer, is a regular participant in the life of the church through corporate worship. We ought not have as leaders or as teachers those who regularly forsake the assembling of the gathered church. Notice that the author calls it our own assembling. It's not that assembly over there that they do It's an assembly that I'm a part of that belongs to us. It is our own assembling. God, when He saves us, makes us a part of the assembly. This is the language of church membership. People say, well, I don't see church membership in the Bible anywhere. Hooey! It's right here. It's your assembly. The New Testament is clear. What God wants for His people is not a buffet approach to church. Oh, it's popular today to to take a little bit of this church that I like and a little bit of that church that I like and a little bit of this ministry and I'll put together a church made in my image rather than go love and serve and belong to one church. But that is not the witness of Scripture. And that is not faithfulness to Christ the King. The way we demonstrate faithfulness to the one Lord is by being faithful in one church of which you are a part. The way you know the perfect love of God is going to serve and plow in an imperfect church. Give up your quest to make a church in your own image and find a church that you love, that you can join, that you can support, that you can show up and you can be ready and eager for worship. An assembly where you draw near to the Father. An assembly that recognizes why they gather is to confess Christ is our living hope. To provoke one another to love and good deeds. And to be gathered in the assembly worshiping God our 
Savior. Whether it's North Roanoke Baptist Church or some other of the excellent churches in the Roanoke Valley, find a church, plant your life there for good, and be committed until Christ takes you home. During this time of quarantine, every passing Sunday has to me been a reminder of how much we need to gather for encouragement in the gospel. This is why the staff and I are working through a variety of most likely scenarios through a phased in return to meeting together. We will do it just as soon as we can and we'll do it as safely as possible. And we recognize that some who are in at-risk categories may want to delay returning. We understand that completely and we continue to welcome you to join us by way of live stream. When we return, we'll likely return first with corporate worship and then add additional ministries as space and government guidelines permit. While this is a challenging time, it is also an opportunity, I believe, that God has given to us. It's an opportunity for us to see how much we need to gather. It's an opportunity for us to prize corporate worship as the primary place that God has given to His church to be His people, drawing near, confessing, and encouraging one another to love and good deeds. God uses our corporate gathering to encourage us and fuel us in faithfulness to Him in our daily lives. So when we emerge from this quarantine, I want to suggest to you that it's time for some new habits. Before the quarantine, Christians across the United States considered them to be regular themselves to be regular attenders of worship if they showed up one or two times a month. I had a pastor friend who said this, "Why would we expect the government to see church as essential when Christians for so long have not?" Church, this is an opportunity for us to be reminded that the habit of some is forsaking the assembly. Do you see that in verse 25? Some get in the habit of forsaking the assembly and then trial comes, adversity comes, persecution comes, and they abandon the faith and prove that they were not of the faith at all. Don't put yourself in a precarious position of putting church on the sideline. The quarantine is the opportunity to be called back into the corporate gathering of God's people week in and week out. We will be driven to assemble when we together keep on seeing the day drawing near. Can you see it? Whether it's corona, whether it's lawlessness that is increasing in our world. Matthew chapter 24 verse 12 says that lawlessness is going to increase as the day draws near and that many will lose their love. Their love will grow cold. In a in a world that is hopeless and that is headed for destruction, we know Christ, the One who is our living hope. We are looking forward. We are gathering as we see the day approaching. And all the more as we see the day approaching. The day is when Jesus returns and He gathers His sheep. And we are enlisted in the ceaseless praise of Christ the Son. The day is coming because we well, because Christ has guaranteed it. But we, we see the day coming because we confess it. We see the day coming as the world grows increasingly hostile to the people of God and to the church. We can see it when we gather and we celebrate and have a small foretaste of what it will be like when we worship Christ our King. 
We gather now and worship together face to face in anticipation of the day that He will come and gather us all and we will see Him face to face. Eternity in the new heavens and the new earth is going to be one big old corporate worship service. This is in a sense the dress rehearsal. As we see the day coming, as cancer kills and corona comes and our leaders disappoint or confuse us with their response, we know that we have a coming King who rules with justice and mercy and grace. And if we know Him, if we confess Him, and if we serve Him, and if we gather in anticipation of Him, if we look back and serve now and look ahead to the day that He is coming, then we are prepared for the day that He comes. So we gather to worship. We gather to spur to love and good deeds. And we gather to confess that Christ is our living hope. I can't wait together. I am so looking forward to being able to see you face to face, uh, to smile at one another, perhaps from a distance, until uh, hopefully Corona is out of here and we're able to get back to, to true normal. But no matter what normal looks like in the days to come, I look forward to being back at North Roanoke Baptist Church's building and gathering soon as the people of God. Would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've told us in Hebrews chapter 10 so far. God, that because of the ministry of Christ as our great high priest, because of his once and for all sacrifice that cleanses the conscience, that sets us free from the power of sin, that we can be belong to you, God, that you are our high priest and that we can gather and commune with you, God, that we can know you in spirit and in truth and we give you praise for that. And God, I look forward to the day, what a great day it's going to be when we gather here to worship you, but even more so, God, when we gather in the new heavens and the new earth and we behold the face of our Savior that we so long to see. God, we give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.